Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Watch Once Never Again, the podcast where we watch disturbing cinema so you don't have to. I'm Mary Beth. And I'm Dex. And we are back with part two of our episode on Hereditary. Thank you all for your patience as we both got sick over the holidays. Merry fucking Christmas. Um, <laughs> still dealing with it. <laughs> still dealing <laughs> But we are back to talk more about Hereditary because we have even more to talk about this episode. But this will be our conclusion episode and then we will be talking about Midge Samar next week in another two-part episode. So, yes. hooray, we're back talking about our, our fave movie, Hereditary. I'm going to say it like that from now on. Hereditary. <laughs> That's what Terry's, like, Halloween name should be. Oh my god! Oh, Terry. Get on that. Get on it. But, um... um I just wanted to clarify some stuff that I talked about last time. Because um, cool. I, did, I did find my paper and read it. So, I remember my research now. And um, we talked a bit about Charlie possibly being displaced from birth or not. And, um, you know, how that relates to, you know, a trans narrative. Yeah. And I, when I reread my paper, I saw that actually Ari Aster confirmed that um, Payman was inside of Charlie since she was born. So. Okay. That settles that debate (laughs) that settles that okay but i have a question and i don't i think we talked about this last time but i still have a question about that specifically like plot wise so okay so in in your paper specifically that you sent me i think you cited the script about payman being enraged about being in a female body correct yes i think i think it was was it the script or? So this, it, I sh- it was. I should it read was, it again. <laughs> yeah, because I, I believe you cited the script slash like we see up in the in the film when Annie is looking through notes on the occult. I believe is the book yes. that she finds in her mother's belongings. Yeah, she opens like the book. Highlighted. And, yes. So I think my question still remains: Why didn't they do it with Peter, and why did they do it to Charlie? And I asked this last time, but my brain is still having a hard time, like, thinking about it. Am I I crazy? No, I think that um, it's hard to answer, but my thinking is that she had access to Charlie when she was a baby and could then kind of groom her, where she didn't really have access to Peter because they didn't have a relationship until Charlie was born and he was already, like, too old for it. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Thank you for helping my brain. When thinking about this movie too hard and just being like, I don't understand. But, no, that does make a lot of sense. Okay. Got it. We're good. All right, so um, I think that's the only thing I wanted to go over. We got a lot of really good feedback. People were really excited about this. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you if you emailed, and sorry we didn't get back to you. We were both, like, dying. Like, Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> let's just, like, I don't know, call it a wash, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm we got still some having good... a hard time looking at a computer right now, so... <laughs> Yeah, and we got some... People really want to read your paper, Dax. 
So I'll let you figure out what you want to do with that. Um. <laughs> I saw some typos that are really going to bother me, so I got to go back in and fix them because I can't deal with it. Um, but, but thank you, everyone, for your interest. Yeah, and thank you, everyone, for all of the good feedback on this Um Everyone loves an Ari Aster, it seems, so that's good to know. Um, but so we were talking about, we've been talking about kind of payment and what the grandmother did. Let's talk a little bit about Ann Dowd's character and the occult aspects yes. of this. Because we kind of, t- we touched on this last time, talking about specifically payment and payment's origins and depictions, but we didn't talk about the Covenant like, as, like, as a whole, but also Ann Dowd's character, who... I think we, the appreciation has grown since the release of the film, but like, fuck, Anne Dowd's character is incredible in this film. Yeah, Anne Dowd, generally, like, I've, I don't think I've ever seen her in something that I didn't like her in. Um, she's she's just, just like one of those really great character actors. She's so powerful, but I mean, like, and I think what's amazing about how she's utilized in Hereditary is she looks like an older woman who is like an unassuming older woman. And I think something that this movie does really well is kind of like playing with expectations of older women in society. You know, I feel like I know that older women are also portrayed as witches, which we see here, but like, I think they are in a lot of films seen as like, Oh, unassuming wise characters who are kind and motherly and are like there and take you under their wing. And be kind. And I think that Hereditary and Aster is playing with that expectation here because obviously we have Annie's mom who is a mother and an older woman who has passed away but is also like pretty fucking evil. But then we have Anne Dowd's character who's like sees her at a grief group. You don't know she's at all related to any of this. It's just like she's trying to seem very kind. She comes up to Annie at the grief group and is like, I lost my son. I have this trauma too. Like we just, I think you'll get a lot from this. And it seems like, oh, wow, like friendship and companionship and community through grief. And it's like, (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) But I think... I think that is like weaponized really well here in terms of trying to find that support. And it's so sinister, but I really love that in terms of playing with the idea of trying to find community in grief and trying to find comfort, which I think we see, especially in the seance scene that I always forget is one of my favorite scenes in this movie that specifically the seance where Ann Dowd introduces Tony Collette's character to the idea of being able to contact contact her daughter and like in death and it that i think is one of the most disarming scenes of this whole movie but this is also when Anne Dowd starts kind of introducing the fact that maybe there's something else going on with her because again we have this like kind of motherly vibe from her you know she has a really nice she has a really cute comfortable apartment she offers her tea and of course we see the welcome mat that we know that Annie's like, wait, my mom cuss, like custom makes those. And she's like, what do you mean? What do you, what could you possibly mean? Um, and I think we have this like really interesting setup with the seance. And again, like we talked about inevitability last time and it's like, oh yeah, this it, it's, and we, we look back at who Anne Dowd's character is and realizing, oh, this was all a like, goddamn setup to like get Annie 
into believing and exploiting her grief into engaging with seances. You know what I mean? Like, it is exploiting her grief. One second, sorry. <coughs> oh. Ex- again, exploiting her grief for their gain, which I think I hadn't thought about, I think, as much before. Like, I, I think I subconsciously knew about the idea of exploiting grief, but I think in rewatching it and rethinking about it, they really do play with, like, Annie's trauma, which we talked about, though, with Peter, about trying to break people down into being, like, the most, like, broken parts of them, like, broken versions of themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I love, I, look, we could debate about exploitation, um, <laughs> good or bad like i understand like you know for a millennia women have been like uh depicted as witches and stuff um but i do i there is something to that i mean you know um a lot of people are like all obsessed with like uh human trafficking now and uh, like they cite that you know human traffickers will use women to lure girls and other women because uh, you don't think that they're going to do something that horrible to you. I mean, even in fiction, like, you can trace that all the way back to, like, I don't know, probably before this, but, like, even, like, Hansel and Gretel, right? Like, Mm -hmm. the the witch, who she does turn out to be a witch, but... um, she seems just like a kindly older lady with like this weird candy house, right? Um, and it's to lure the kids because you don't think this old granny is gonna like, yeah, do this thing. So I, I, I tend to like that trope just because oh, I love it, it. It seems to get people every time, and um, it I don't know it is kind of gleeful to me. Well, I also think it gives, I think it also, I know it's like negative power, but I think it gives power to characters that I think that are also, are, are oftentimes seen as weak. I think older women are seen as weak. They're old, they're frail, mm-hmm. they're, they're not like capable, but then when they're like, ha, just kidding, I tricked you, you dumb bitch. Like, I love that. And like, yes, I understand there's a whole like misogynistic angle to that but in my head i like to see it as like a haha you didn't but like you you yourself believe that an old woman like couldn't be possible like couldn't be capable of doing something like this and i got you and i i find that gleeful especially like in newer horror i don't know i just find something so like you said, gleeful about an old woman tricking people into being like, haha, I'm not the cute, sweet granny you think I am. Like, that's what you get for just making assumptions about me and how I look. I don't know. There's something right. about it I really love. And I know, again, it's rooted in misogyny, but I right. choose to reclaim it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's like, um, to me, you know, it's always calling out the audience. It's like, um, I gave you no reason to, like, really underestimate this person but you just chose to based on your own like uh preconceived notions of what you think women are and especially elder women even though she's like not 
she's not like an elderly lady. Yeah, when, when I say I'm just older saying. woman, like she just she pre- but she presents as like a middle age like an old like a middle aged to older woman who yeah. like you would think of as a comforting motherly maternal character. Yeah, and like she does have that though. vibe. Like she she's, has like what, a maternal vibe. Like yes. she's very open to Annie. She wants to comfort her. Like so, like it's well, not. And like, she also has like the shawls and like the like you know what I like the outfits like the flowing yeah like, skirt like, she and probably shirts. Dresses, she probably went to like fashion bug or something like that. <laughs> like yes. <laughs> So it's yeah. like, I'm not saying like, oh, we're all terrible because we all just underestimated her. Uh, like, okay. So yes, we underestimated her because of how she acts, but people do tend to underestimate women generally. And then as they get older, they just, you know, see them as less and less like, I don't know. I hate to even say this, but like useful or like, yeah, um, capable, um, so that is like a, a societal like preconceived notion and then yeah. i guess you know Ari Aster hammers at home by making her kind of like a grandmotherly figure she talks about her grandson and stuff but um you know it is a horror movie and why haven't we all learned to not trust anybody yet <laughs> Yeah, they do the, the same thing. thing in they do it with men and women in um that movie. Oh God, what is that movie? M Night Shyamalan, The Visit. Right? Oh, like, that's right. They do yeah. that with the older. Yeah. Both both like men and women. They're like, oh, you just think elderly people are just like fine, but like this is a horror movie. You shouldn't trust anybody at all ever. Yeah. And I like that, because you know what? You're right. Why haven't I learned that? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, for real, though. It's like, we haven't learned that. And I don't think I ever will. (laughs) No matter how many movies I watch at this point. We all have, like, little goldfish brains, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think Anne Dowd, like I said, generally in life is just... such an amazing actor um but like in this specifically it's so like insidious when you realize what she's doing like that part where annie annie tries to do her own seance at home which is one of my favorite scenes oh that is a that is also one of my favorite scenes so unnerving um and it goes completely wrong so she runs over to Joan's house and Joan Joan already knew what was going to happen so she's not there and like she has her little like mannequin things set up um, you know like the toys that Charlie used to make Mm. Um, and Annie's like pounding on the door and then the the camera like pulls back and you see like Joni is actually evil like with all her like witchy shit everywhere I love that like so the, much. And, like, the pic, but then the pictures of Joan with her mother and, like, obviously, yeah. like, it's just an incredible, it's an incredible reveal in realizing that, like, this, and that, that did kind of, that did surprise me. Again, I've seen so many fucking horror movies at this point. Like, this came out in 2018, and I, and I was like, wait, whoa, all right, <laughs> you got, you got me there, bitch. <laughs> 
Yeah, because we hadn't seen something like that in a while, you know? (laughs) But, like, but here's, but, like, the thing I think, even, like, an extension from Joni is the rest of the coven. Because when we, I think, I didn't realize this until maybe, like, my my third watch. Peter's friend? No, what's... Oh. oh, you you go first. You go first. Uh, oh, you what? <laughs> you go first. <laughs> I'll I, tell you after. Oh, my brain. Um, I was thinking the grief group because when we pull back from the grief in the grief circle that we talked about, we you kind of can re- you see that everyone there actually is a member of the coven because when we see these people either at the funeral at the beginning or at the end when we see all of the naked people in the house, which we'll get to <laughs> when we discuss the end. Shortly, we see all of these nude people, members of the coven, and when you see them, and you can kind of put together, oh my god, these people were at the, the entire grief group was made up of people that were in the coven, and Annie was the only person who wasn't in on it. Like, that to me is so fucking terrifying and sinister that you, this is so orchestrated that, like, it's just, it, Everything in this movie is so planned and orchestrated. It's horrific. Like, how in the hell is everything so perfectly planned? Like, every single member of the coven... Well, not every single, but, like, all of the members of this grief group are coven members who are there solely to speak to Annie, to bring Annie in, to be to be bait and everything. And I think, like, it is just so calculated and so smart and absolutely terrifying. And it's like how, my like, favorite thing. It's incredible, like how this these this this group this coven of people are just like they they are just so confident in what they're doing, and you never and again because we're seeing this through Annie's perspective, we're not going to really see obviously like the detailed perspectives of these members, but there is a confidence in every single thing that they do. I mean, the, the stuff that Joni does. The ritual with the, like the seance and everything, every it's just such a performance, a performance within a performance, which again I think is so incredible that you can tell. Obviously, Anne Dowd is acting, but Joni is acting and putting on this show, and she's like, "Look, I'm a grieving parent and grandparent, and I know just like you how hard it is to not to be without your family. So I'm and so I'm going to try to like show you I I understand how you're feeling." but actually trick you and it's just bone chilling that's sociopathy (laughs) but okay what peter's friends tell me more about this um you know that scene when peter is like smoking um with his friends like under the bleachers and then he has like a panic attack (laughs) hold my hand hold my hand (laughs) yeah i I actually want to talk about that a little more but one of his friends, he has, like, longer hair. Um, you see him in the treehouse at the end. Like, <gasps> his friends are in the coven. Yeah. Rewatch it, everybody. What? I yeah. never caught that. He's, like, Holy one of the first, shit. like, um, people you see when, when Peter climb or I guess Charlie... Whoever that bitch is at the end, whenever they climb up the ladder, that's like one of the first people you see is like the guy. He has like a like a top knot and like longer hair. Yes. Oh my god. And I think I I feel like I researched this a little bit, but I abandoned it for my paper. But I'm pretty sure that like 
um, Peter's, like, panic attack thing isn't random. I think that his friend oh. somehow orchestrated that, the one who's in the coven. Um, but I, I'm not 100% sure. And either way, um, I just like that scene because that's what, um, like, it feels like for me to have a panic attack. And um, I always like that he, like, quotes Charlie in that scene, which I think is also very telling. That he starts saying, like, I think my throat is getting bigger. Oh. You know? I don't think I caught that either. Whoa. I'd be watching this. Do you know how many times I had to watch this movie for my paper? <laughs> I don't even want to know. It was, I mean, I did it, like, happily. And then it's been on Pluto TV, like, almost every single day for, like, three weeks. And... Oh. Every time it's on, I'll just throw it on. And I realized I had a problem because I was getting ready for work one day and I had a little extra time. So I was like, oh, I'll just like s- turn on the TV for a second. And I I put on um, Hereditary and I started like eating my yogurt. And I was like, wait a minute, because it was the scene where <laughs> Tony Collette starts cutting her own head off in the attic. And I was like, I should probably not watch this first thing in the morning while I'm eating. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. It's it's fine. Yeah, I'll just like it's watch fine. little bits and pieces here and there all the time. Just, just a little treat. Just a little hereditary treat. Yeah, just as a treat. As a treat. <laughs> well, um, so let's let's talk yeah, about yeah. those. Let's talk about your the seance the other well we, I think we talked a little bit about the seance scene that Annie Annie and her family have last episode but do we want to talk about that a little bit as we kind of start transitioning into talking about grief and the depiction of crying in this movie? Yes, but real quick before we move on, I forgot to say when I was talking about Joan and like being like underestimated and stuff. Um it's like, it's like, Ari Aster doesn't even hide it, right? Because you can see her buying the shit for the seance. And, um, like, when she runs into Annie in the parking lot, and she's like... Yeah. You know, she's coming out of the craft store. She's holding a chalkboard, right? And you don't think anything of it. And then in the seance, she's like, this was my grandson's chalkboard he always used it to talk to me and it's like you just fucking bought that i watched you buy it but we don't you don't go into the michaels (laughs) yeah you don't think about it until like afterwards and you're like this bitch was lying i love that so much like i love i every any movie really where it's all in plain sight (laughs) like you have to put it together later on that's like one of my favorite things i love a nice puzzle Uh, yes yeah so i just wanted to say that like it further goes to show like we just like refused to think that she was like a problem even though we can clearly see (laughs) that that she's like even in the beginning when she's like she just shows up at annie's car like why the fuck are you you never talked to her in your life why are you at her car and like how did you get there so fast like i'm confused (laughs) like but you're just like, oh, what a nice lady. <laughs> She's uh, just trying to be nice and, like, help this woman in her grief. Like, yeah. they all are just trying to find a friend. And then it's like, she's weaponizing your grief. Again, like, I think... It's like, she was waiting for yeah. you. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Like, 
I mean, I just love the... My favorite is, like, thinking about this this fucking coven, like, sitting together designing a flyer for a grief council, like, a grief uh, meeting, and, like, giving it to too. Amy specifically, and they're being I like, I love uh-uh. it. Like, it's just... <laughs> the seance flyer. I, like, oh I can't. My There's God. a graphic designer in the coven. Just, it's like... It's their passion. It's their passion, and they're, they're, they're there for the cause for payment. They're gra- graphic design for payment. <laughs> It's my fucking favorite thing. I love it so much. I love I love movies where it's like, yes, this is all real. This this was a plot. Like major spoiler alert for the movie Watcher. Did you see Watcher? Yes, I did. That I I loved it so much. It's like, yeah, no, sometimes people are sometimes creepy people are fucking creepy. Ex- like, like exactly like sometimes people really do be creepy and really do be like actually that way like you like it, women are insane like women have actually pretty decent intuition in figuring out if someone's a fucking creepazoid exactly <laughs> and like might i remind everybody my favorite movie of all time is rosemary's baby so <laughs> <laughs> talk about exploitation and creepy old people just like seemingly Bruh. okay I know. I have a lot of, like, explaining to do for that choice of movie being my favorite, but um, I won't do it. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but I won't. <laughs> but I won't. Not right now, anyway. Um, yes, I want to move into the depiction of grief because I forgot to say this um, but during our short film episode, but, like, you can kind of see where in... Um, Munchausen and uh, the strange thing about the Johnsons, you kind of start to see Ari Aster's like writing of mm. crying specifically. Um, in both of those short films, uh, there's a character who has like overwhelming grief and starts crying hysterically. Yeah, I think it's more powerful in the strange thing about the Johnsons when, um, the father gets hit by the car and the son is like holding his dead body and sobbing and like screaming at his mother and stuff. Yeah. Um, I feel like you can trace those depictions in those short films right through to hereditary. And then, you know, of course the scene where Annie is like sobbing on the floor after Charlie dies and is like, it's too much. It hurts. Like, I just want to die. Um, oh, I just got chills because it gets me every fucking that, time. That every... is like true grief. Well, and I think something that I always think about this movie is in the trailer, we have like, we have her crying at a funeral in the trailer, but we we think it's for the mother because you watch the beginning of the movie, but then we have like, oh shit, Charlie actually dies. And I think the yeah. trailer, even like even the trailer is like presenting you all this stuff and it's like, you have no idea what's about to happen. Like you think you know, but you don't. Wait, can I say something real quick about the trailer? Oh my God, of course you can. Um, so I have a little, a, a little movie club that like before COVID we would go see like, movies together it was like a group of like nine of us and like we would go get brunch and then watch a movie on like sundays (laughs) yeah it was the best um and when hereditary was coming out so 
those people know I don't like to watch trailers because I don't want to know a single thing. I, I can tell if I want to see a movie based solely on a poster, um, an actor, and the, the how they look in one frame <laughs> um, or the title. Love that. Love that. Yeah. Like, I, I can know immediately. Or a director and, like, you know. A, yeah. A, if it's, like, Yorgos Lanthimos starring uh, fucking Olivia Coleman, I'm in. Okay? So, <laughs> um, so for Hereditary, I knew I wanted to see it because it was an A24 horror movie. And to me, at the time, that was not, like like super frequent so i was very interested in seeing what would happen next right so um every time this trailer would come on i would cover my eyes and hold my ears and hum to myself and someone would have to tell me when it was over because i didn't want to know anything or or i would run out of the theater and then someone would come get me or text me to come back in and I do that with, like, a, a lot of, like, major horror movies like that. But um, it was pretty egregious with Hereditary because I could just tell from the title um, and the fact that I knew Tony Collette was in it that it was going to be, like, a movie made pretty much specifically for me. So I just wanted to let everyone know I am neurotic about pretty much everything in my life. <laughs> And Absolutely again, incredible. I remind everyone that I am in therapy, so it's, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> We're all safe. We're all safe. <laughs> but I just thought you would think that's funny. I would like, I would like hum to myself. <laughs> that's incredible. You're like, don't look at me. Just blindfold yourself. Have a blindfold and earplugs ready for the theater. Yeah, or, like, if somebody, if one of the crew saw something before me, they'd be like, okay, it's, like, the third trailer. Don't watch. Or (laughs) if if I was coming back in to the theater, say someone sent me to go get, like, a snack or something, um, (laughs) they'd turn around and be like, hereditary trailer! And (laughs) I would run out. (laughs) Oh, my God. Scurrying out with your popcorn. Like, no, I cannot be spoiled. And you know what the greatest part of that is? Um, I watched the trailer after the movie, and of course, not one single motherfucking thing at all is spoiled. Not that I think everything's going to get spoiled in a trailer. Like, I'm not one of those people necessarily. But, like, I didn't want to, I don't want to know anything about it. I don't want to know what it looks like. I don't want to, I don't want to know, you know. But it is very hilarious that not, the trailer literally gives you nothing. And I love that. It's true. It doesn't do anything. <laughs> anyway, I'm so sorry. Yes. No, um, I love I love that. that that's like a red herring in the trailer. Well, not really a red herring, but you know what I mean. It's like a misdirect in the trailer where you see her yeah. sobbing hysterically. And then, of course, you know it does the thing that I told you I love where it goes underground. Ugh. <laughs> Fuck. Yes. Well, and so I think I there there's a really interesting, I think, kind of dichotomy of grief here because you know the first part of the movie obviously is like this whole there's death in this this whole movie is predicated on death because we have annie's mom dying but with her death there isn't really grief like or there isn't grief in the way like, there isn't like this kind of violent upset crying grief it is mm-hmm. okay she died 
because, you know, we even open on, it's time for the funeral. Peter doesn't want to get up. Like, everyone's kind of just dragging themselves to the funeral. Like, Annie doesn't even want everyone to go to the funeral. And, you know, Annie gives this speech of, like, oh, who the fuck are all y'all people, like, at this funeral? Like, my mom was a pretty private, like, the private person with private thoughts, I believe, is, like, what she said. Yeah, private rituals, and I like Private rituals. <laughs> and, like, this kind of, you know, she is going through the motions of, grief quote unquote but she even talks about like i haven't even cried like, to her husband like, i haven't cried like i'm not that upset and i mean we understand why as we get the the information about her mom but we have this like okay so we're just kind of not we're going through a very different kind of maybe grieving process than other than you would expect but then we have the death of charlie her her daughter mm-hmm. and then we have this this like violent expulsion of grief which like, again, is some of the most harrowing depictions of grief I've ever seen on on screen. Which, why, again, another reason why Tony Collette deserves all these awards because of the like just the anguish of her. And like you said, the scene where Peter is listening to her screaming and crying, saying it's too much, I want to die, on the floor of her bedroom, just like rocking back and forth, like this just expulsion of emotion of just outright screaming like it's not just crying it's screeching and howling exactly like not there's no sanitizing of grief there isn't pretty Mm -hmm. crying there isn't like shedding a solemn tear there isn't like oh she's sitting in a window and is like contemplating her grief as the sun sets it's like or trying to be positive about it like at least she's in a better place she's like no i want to kill myself no, like I'm in a, I like I'm in a violent, violent reality where like this is the worst possible thing that could ever happen to me, and we are going to depict what that means when the worst possible thing has happened to you, and what that grief looks like, and it is like, I mean, that's one of the reasons why this movie is so hard for me to watch. Like, it's not the like you know Tony Collette decapitating herself. It's these depictions of grief and what happens when you're grieving, and the it's too real. It's too, it is, it's too real. And like you were saying with the short films, Ari Aster is incredibly talented at depicting that experience of grief. And the way he is able, I don't under, like the cast, the way he directs, the script, all three, and getting these performances out of women specifically and having these incredibly, well, not just women, but in in Munchausen, Strange Thing About the Johnsons, and hereditary it is primarily these very like intense reactions of grief from women which again i think is very interesting that you know women are and women and mothers are you know having these reactions of grief to their children because i think it's expected of mothers to have these extremely violent reactions to the deaths of their children or mm-hmm. the death of their husbands in the case of strange thing about the johnsons but I also think that Aster is taking it to a, a, a kind of the next the next level here in terms of, especially with Hereditary, because I think the grief also sees Annie revealing truths about not wanting to be Peter's mom. And mm-hmm. not, and that, you know, we, we have the, you are, I am your mother speech that comes after the death of Charlie. I think... We see these depictions of crying, but I also think we have grief coming out as rage and what 
like these different, you know, we talk about the stages of grief, not to be like cliche, but I mean, the we see rage in Annie. It's not just sobbing and crying and depression. It is outright out. It is fucking rage. It is hot rage at her, at her son. I mean, like we all know it was an accident, but she's still angry and she doesn't know what to do with that anger. And I think that isn't seen a lot in depictions of grief of this uncontrollable rage and un- not knowing what to do with it outside of like, you know, we see that in revenge movies, but this is a kind of maybe a more realistic grounded portrayal of what that rage looks like. And like the frustration of not knowing what to do with that rage. And then that rage being kind of taken out on everyone around you. Um, yeah. I love it. <laughs> it's it's- it's so good. You know, get ready to be mad. One time, this was a couple years ago, I saw someone tweet that, like, she was being really, um, what was the word they used? They basically said that she was hamming it up in the like scene. Me- like, melodramatic, like melodramatic? Yeah. Huh. I was like, just... um, okay, should I block them? <laughs> well and like this is and this is not assuming anyone's experience with grief but i i sometimes wonder i'm like do you think these things because you yourself maybe haven't had that personal experience either seeing someone experience that or like you yourself experiencing that and like maybe not having that more complex understanding of the experience of grieving and again not to assume things about people i don't know shit about shit but like it's just so hard to see the way she cries and, like, the way that she reacts and not feel like, yeah, fuck. Like, I have seen that with my eyes. I have felt that before in my heart. Like, I understand it. I think, look, I don't want to make sweeping generalizations, but I'm gonna for a second. <laughs> um, this person who said it was a man. And um, so I think... You know, in fairness to this person, right, a lot of men are very stoic when they feel grief. I mean, we actually do see this in the movie. Um, Steve does not cry until very late in the movie, and he just kind of breaks down for a second in his car, and then he seems to be kind of fine after that. Yeah. Um, He's the one trying to hold it all together, and I think... I'm I'm not saying that cis men cannot understand her grief in this movie because I don't think that I think that they certainly can and yeah uh, should allow themselves to but I do think that a lot of cis men struggle with this kind of explosive um, depiction of grief or it, like I, because they're socialized not to do that so like. I think, like, if you asked, you know, my friend's dad, who was a cop for 30 fucking years, um, I think he would say she is being a little over the top. It, is that true? No, she's not being over the top. She experienced a horrible loss, and she can react however she reacts. But in fairness, I suppose that that person could too. And that's why I didn't block them. But... Um, <laughs> 
they are objectively wrong. She's doing a great job of portraying over-the-top grief. I mean, uh, I mean, she's experienced the biggest loss of her life. You know, like, not everybody can just sit there pensively, like, you know, crying over a cup of tea or something like that. Like, yeah. this is real life. Sometimes grief is fucking ugly. Like, um... Not to get too personal, but, like, I, I'm i someone who strugg- struggles with um, depiction, like, not depictions, but with with uh, outward emotions like that. Like, I find it very difficult to cry um, unless I'm really sad, and then even then it's maybe, like, one or two tears. Thank you, testosterone. But, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I've experienced... Like, I, I've i experienced unimaginable grief and loss. And for me, it, it came out ugly in a way that it's like, you know, let's talk about my brother, because that was like 17 years ago at this point. When my brother died when I was in high school, it was ugly, not in the sense that I was howling on the floor, screaming and crying. I became a fucking asshole. Like... Yeah, for a a while, like a long time. I mean, you know me, I'm really not an asshole. Yeah, I was angrier in high school. Who wasn't? But, uh, (laughs) but um, I, you know, I was acting out in ways that are very unlike me, you know, at any other point in my life, especially now. Right. So like, what I guess what I'm getting at is like, for someone to watch this and be like, well, that's unrealistic. How can you even say that? What, how can you even say any depiction of loss or grief is unrealistic when people react in such unique ways? I I don't know. I don't get it. And then on top of it to, to even suggest that Tony Collette can't do a good job of depicting something that's um, now I'm getting upset, but like, uh, (laughs) that's so wild to me because like, she's okay. I need to stop, cool down. I'm just saying my opinion is that Tony Collette is one of our greatest living actors and has been for a really long time. And like, I'm not even just talking about Hereditary. I'm not just talking about The Sixth Sense. I'm I'm going back, okay? I'm Muriel's wedding, okay? Whoa. Like, yeah, so, anyway. Now well, that I've calmed down, that well, is and I, absurd that they said that. <laughs> well, and I also think, I mean, like, I think we also see Peter experiencing grief in a very interesting way as well. Again, we don't have Stoic. the same... He ha- we have that very stoic, and again, you can kind of see, oh, the male... Like, there is a pretty gendered, like, kind of depiction here in this movie, I will say. Like, a gendered depiction of expressions of grief. Like, we love this movie, but I think we... Especially in talking about, like, disability in last episode. Like, you know, I still think there is a very gendered aspect to how the depictions of grief and the experience of grief in this movie. But I think... There is a really interesting thing going on here with Peter's character, because especially when we have the the revelation that uh, Charlie's headless body is in the back of the family Subaru, Uh, (laughs) like sick. We have favorite shot. Look, one of my favorite shots of all time. I wrote a thousand word essay on the shot of of just the shot of 
Alex Wolf's face as he hears his mom going to the car. Like, he yeah, can hear bed. her walking. Yeah, he's laying in bed. He can hear her walking to the car like, hey, I'm going to go to like to the store and grab some stuff. Like, I'll be back. And when she finds the body, you hear these like animalistic shrieks from her. And then all you see is his face. And it's the face of someone who has just dissociated so hard from their body that like they just don't know what fucking way is up. Like they have mm-hmm. just like he he knows that what has do- been what has been done cannot be undone and he is fucked. And he is just laying there like I don't even know what to do, so I'm just going to dissociate into oblivion. And like that is a very fucking valid reaction to grief and trauma, and I think we get that a lot from him in this movie. And I think there's something to be said about like we talked about again, like the breaking down of the spirit for like payment breaking down the spirit of the person so he can inhabit their body. And we have like I mean, Peter is in like a state of dissociation for much of the back half of this movie, I feel like, um, of being kind of removed from his physical body, which I think then can kind of, if we want to really dig into it, translates into this kind of, okay, so he can more willingly give up his physical body. Well, not give up. That's that, that implies consent here. He can be more willingly forced out of his body if he is dissociating from his physical form. And I think that kind of connects to what we were talking about really well to the last episode and like how you can see, okay, this, he is slowly being physically broken, like removed from his self, like his brain or his like, um, his consciousness is being slowly broken down to not being attached to a physical form. And it's awful to watch, but also it's part of their design, which is also really fucking dark. And another weaponization of grief that we have here and like, cool, we'll have him dissociating so hard from his own physical form that payment can just slip on in there, no problem. Like, that's also incredibly dark and, like, disturbing, I think. And I love it, because I'm sick. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we're here, baby. I'm a sicko. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I'm totally with you on all those counts. I love that part. Where uh, he just slowly rolls the car all the way home. I mean, it doesn't show it doing that, but you imagine that's what he did. Like, what do you even do in that scenario? Like, obviously you're supposed to call the cops and call your family and all that crazy shit. But, like, like, that is what you're supposed to do in air quotes. But, what? Like, I just, like, that is, like, my worst night. Like, I, I bet that's most people's worst nightmare. Like, what the fuck do you even do? <laughs> I would yeah. be, I think I just cease to exist. I'd be like, I gotta go. <laughs> I just walk into the woods. <laughs> like, <laughs> the first time I saw it, I was just like, what the fuck is he doing? But as I've watched it a hundred million times, I'm like, you know what? I have no idea what I would do in that situation. Maybe that's what I would do. How the fuck do I know? It's like, like, but like, it's like, I would you feel cannot, so you can, horrible. You can just feel like his brain, like going into autopilot and being like, all right, just get home. And like, he just like, he just kind of just like it leaves himself and it just like, you know, in impulse takes over. It's just, it's insane. Yeah. You can almost see his brain snap. Yeah. He, uh, I just love that moment where, uh, he's sitting in the car, like right after it happens, he hasn't taken his foot off the brake yet. And um, 
you know. The meme, the meme I posted when we recorded Alexa play Despacito of him staring off into space after his sister just died. <laughs> yeah, that part. And, like, he's, like, uh, almost, he's trying to hold back from hyperventilating. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh man, I love that. Oh, that. and you look like you can you see you follow his gaze looking in like the the rear view like in the rear view. Yeah, and he mirror, snaps away. And he snaps away. He's like, I can't look at it. Like I can't. It's know. so <clears throat> good. It's so yeah. I cannot know because if I look and I see it, then it's real. Exactly. Like if I can just pretend that I don't know what happened, then I can just like get home and it'll be fine. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, my Dear reader, God, it was not fine. <laughs> I love it so much. Also, that reminds me that somebody, when you posted that meme on our page, someone said more like Decapacito. Uh, I forget who that was, but that was a really good one. Wow. <laughs> Fuck, that's incredible. Anyway. Well, let's start talking about the ending. Because I feel I would like. love to. There's a lot to talk about, there's a lot of scary shit that goes on at this ending. Lots to unpack. Do you know a lot of people hate the end? I do know They think it, like, goes really off the rails and they, like, hate it. Yeah, and I still, I just, I don't get it. I don't get that either. I think it's, I I think it is the logical conclusion. Like, I guess we can talk about that now. Like, I think it is the logical conclusion to this movie. It's not even just, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, yeah, you're fine. I, I was just saying, it's not even just about it being a logical or illogical conclusion. Like, I think that people think that um, Tony Collette is, like, hamming it up. I, I saw someone use those specific words about the ending, like, 15 minutes. Um, she doesn't have a head! Turned, I, 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 I don't understand. Like, I really don't understand that uh, perspective. And I try, like... Because <laughs> everyone's allowed to have their opinion, but I don't understand that. Um, I don't understand how you could watch the ending twenty minutes. Like a lot of people think it's funny, and they don't think it's scary at all. Or maybe not a lot of people, but I definitely saw a few people say that. And um, I mean, and it's not in the way like, for instance, when I went with my movie club to see it, my friend Kevin, and he's gonna hear this, and we've already all screamed at him about this endlessly, so it's fine. Um, my friend Kevin wouldn't stop laughing, like, at every scary part. And it was not, like, a normal laugh. It was like a, ha ha ha, everybody look at me. I think it's funny, not scary. Um, and when we talked to him about it, you know, a couple weeks later, it was like, you were so scared that you didn't know how to react, so you laughed. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people who genuinely thought it was campy and funny. I don't get that. (laughs) Like, what? I mean, granted, there's some things you can laugh at. Like, I don't don't know. Like, some of the faces she makes, sure, I'll allow it. But, like, uh, how do you think overall that it's not scary at all? Like, I was shooketh. Yeah, And I I don't get shooketh. It feels like one of those things where I think people want it. I wonder if people were expecting it. I think we might have talked about this last episode, expecting it to be this like allegory and not like, oh no, there was legitimately a demon. <laughs> like this was not like yeah. so. I don't like, get that either. That like, the want for was, that. 
this is like full on demonic. And I, again, I think that every puzzle piece in this movie comes together to this. Like, I think it has to end like this. I loved the ending because I was like, thank like, we have gone there. We have taken it to this like crazy cosmic conclusion where it's like, there's, you're doomed. And you're fucking doomed. You're doomed. And I think I could like the naked people appearing is both horrifying. I laughed because I was like, I don't even like I wouldn't know how to react. Like, I would laugh in that scenario because I'd be so nervous. You know what I mean? Because like, yeah, they scared me. I can see like why maybe you laugh at some points with that. But I, I think my laughter would have been like, I'm terrified because I mean, like the once the ending gets started, it doesn't stop because I, I think to me like that, that turning point is when she was, when Annie tries to light the journal on fire and her husband gets lit on fire and it all kind of like, when we see her in the reflection of like with the, with the light of the flames, like, holy shit, what's going on. And then we see her change. Like we see something go inside of her body. Like we see something inhabit her body. Like there is like, such a turning point there because then we go to like Peter is sleeping and wakes up and is like mom and that's when we have the most terrifying moment of cinema in the 24 and I believe the 21st century is dead ass like you're so like 100% fucking her the realization that her fucking body is floating not even floating but it's like in the in the corner and that's like a the, spider the, like it's such an incredible adjust, like use adjusting to the light, like letting the viewer experience that. It's not a jump scare. She's there the whole time, but if you're not looking and if you're not paying attention, you don't see it. And my all-time favorite theatrical experience was yes. seeing this movie and having people start realizing she was there and start going like, "What the fuck?" Like and that like, is, <gasps> oh yeah. God. And I was like, "Steve, she's at the corner, like in the theater when we saw it." Like it is just, it was so fucking awesome to have that experience like it's so terrifying but it's not again it's not a jump scare it is a the audience is smart enough to get this and i love that because i don't think people think the audience like i don't think a lot of studios want like let directors work with the fact that people are smart especially for like bigger theatrical releases like i know that hereditary yeah. is like considered like an indie but it's like come on it would have had a pretty big fucking theatrical release yeah and i think that this this is a movie where they let ari aster just is like be like the audience is smart they'll get it and they we did and i love that like I'm and I'm not trying to shit on jump scares. I think that jump scares can be used incredibly effectively, and I do love a good jump scare. Like I'm not hating on it, but it's just really refreshing to see a different kind of scare used, and the experience of people slowly realizing it as like a wave of people across the theater is just so incredible to be able to experience that as like a like a collective community like experience. So cool. It was almost like a choose your own jump scare because like. <laughs> You you get freaked out at all different points across the theater. And it happened... I saw this three times in the theater, and it happened every single showing. Yes! I saw, yes, I did. and 
I love this movie because I feel like everyone trauma bonded watching this movie together. <laughs> oh, for <laughs> like sure. We, we all left, like, didn't know each for other, sure. but we all loved having that experience together. Like, the trauma of watching Hereditary for the first time. Like, I almost had a panic attack seeing this the first time. I was just, like, not ready for it. But, anyway. I just talk- Sorry, I, ju- I just talked to somebody the other day who said that they never saw her in the corner. I think it was my friend Kevin. I think I'm pretty sure he never noticed her up in the corner. And I was oh. like, "Did you watch the movie?" I have a question. Did you watch it? Like- <laughs> question. How dare you? <laughs> First of all, how dare you? Um, but the I do think I I do okay. It's scary, but it is kind of it is a little bit silly when you know we get the shot when she of floats across around and she floats off and goes doo, doo, yes. doo, 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 doo. like that see that's what I'm talking of- about. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. If you think that's campy and funny, I understand that. I don't understand thinking it's hilarious when she cuts her own head off and she's staring no. you in the eye as she does it. Like, like that was that's horrifying. Abs- that's horrifying. I was like, stop looking at me. Stop making direct eye contact with me. Dude, you're cutting off your own head. Stop it. I hate it. <laughs> I know, and I really want that like that still like tattooed on me, but. <laughs> But I have a um, shirt. I have a shirt of her cutting off her own head on the back. I have a. I don't wear it a lot out in public. Well, I, I used to wear it in public in grad school. I bought it in grad school, and I was like, I'm so cool. And I was like, I think I'm. T- I'm in like my mid to late twenties. I don't think I should be wearing this in public. And you're like, why won't anyone talk to me? <laughs> Yo, why is everyone giving me weird looks? You have a floating decapitated like woman decapitating herself on your back. You fucking psychopath. I would wear it. I don't care. That's still it. Your so kids big, aren't my concern. The big, the big payment symbol on it. I was like, it's anyway. Regardless, like link in description. <laughs> uh, no, sold out a long time ago. I'm sure it did because one of those awesome. like limited, limited edition, annoy like all our favorite horror places. It's on sale for seventy two hours, and you can never get it again because we're trying to avoid <laughs> copyright infringement. <laughs> yeah, like it's on sale for three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> when um, the moon is full and the moon is in the second up. house <laughs> yes. anyway anyway um yeah no that's exactly what i'm talking about is like the difference between those two things is like so you think those are the same that's that's really wild to me and kind of says more about you than about the movie but yeah I digress and i think that was a judgment Sorry, Kara. Kara is my therapist. Anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, but we move from the silly kind of like floating across the ceiling part to Peter investigating the dark house, and it's like we see he starts, you know. He sees the, the fucking ashes of his father on the floor. Trauma. Turns yes. around. She's like smiling naked man. Like trauma. Like so and that, scary. That moment to me, I was like, obviously knew. I, again, knew it was all fucked. But when I, that naked man was in there, I'm like, oh no. Like this is really bad. <laughs> like I knew it was bad, oh, but for some reason, him. I, hate, I was I like hate a naked man. I hate it. <laughs> And when you start seeing them hidden around the house, oh, they're everywhere! It's so bad. 
bad. It's so bad. Poor it Peter. Might take is... you a couple watches, but <laughs> you'll see them. They're high. like the camera. It, you never even like it doesn't show them. You just see no. Them. They're flashes. It's really it's what's quick again. Like Aster really took like some time with these details to be like, oh, these fuckers are everywhere, and like we have poor Peter like running from his mother who is an Payman. We have the really incredible, like, banging her head on oh the attic. God. The That's um, so scary. The sca- that, that's awful. Like, I... Because you think she's just... You think she's just knocking, like, hard, like, like pounding on the door, but actually it's her fucking head. It's her fucking head, like... And I think... I think was something that always terrifies me with, like, possession stuff. And I know that possession movies kind of can be hit or miss for people. But as someone who grew up Catholic and is, like, <laughs> had, a, had a father who was, like, and, well, one, inflicted enough trauma to last multiple lifetimes, but also, like, is scared of demons and made me terrified of demons like they were real for a large part of my life. <laughs> like, that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. Like, um, this was so fucking like the idea that like a demon could take over your body and just be like, all right, cool, we're just gonna smash your fucking physical form on everything and nothing matters. Like that's that that for some reason is so fucking terrifying. Like not just losing control of your body, but of it just like decimating your body for its own personal gain, like physically. That shit terrifies me. Like and the fact that I don't know. Yes, I know that it's not real, but it just. In this, in these moments, especially like this, it's just like that's ah, too much. <laughs> like I don't, I don't want to be possessed. <laughs> I hate a head smashing into something, like oh, um, generally. God. So yeah. that part where you finally see that it's her banging her head on the door that really deeply upsets me almost every time. I'm even getting upset now. Um, it's very scary, <laughs> and I agree. Um, I. I have, like, a weird, like, history with, like, being religious or, like, mm-hmm. religion in generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't really need to get into it, but I'm not, like, religious now. I still like a good possession movie, whether or not I'm a, I'm actually, like, afraid yeah. of, you know, the afterlife. And I 100% agree. I think that's part of why they work so well is, like, completely losing any control of your body, um like in in a spiritual sense like uh where something takes over um that's so scary and uh i mean wow it does a number on her in this one <laughs> and it's just you know another uh, you know testament to the writing in this film is like you can hear uh payment in annie like plotting out what he's about to do you know like you can hear uh her break the piano and you don't think about it you're just like oh everything's going to shit oh my god i never i've never i don't think i ever realized that you hear her break the piano you don't i don't think i ever realized that yeah go back and watch it you will hear the piano break and you'll hear like it snap and you Uh don't think anything of it until like later on when you're like oh she's she took that so she could cut off her own fucking head (laughs) like what the fuck that's so sick you thought 
I know, I know what y'all thought. Y'all all saw Audition and thought, no piano wire could ever upset me more than this. And Ari Aster was like, that's what you thought. That's what you thought. Gotcha. <laughs> How about a more upsetting piano wire? <laughs> oh, man, I love it so much. I love this movie. Sorry, now <laughs> I'm just, like, geeking out over it. Well, we, then we have, we obviously have the piano wire death. We have her head, like, rolling off and, like, rolling onto like, to Peter's feet. And he's just like, okay. And then we get him launching himself out of a window, which, honestly, respect. When he's just like... We're done. <laughs> Wait, you, her head doesn't roll off. Um, he, she's cutting off her head, and then he hears something and turns and sees the naked people. Oh, that's right. That's, that's right. That's, what right. that's right. That's right. And when he falls on the ground, you can hear her continue to cut, and it's getting that's faster what it faster. is. Sorry. Oh. oh my god, I get like yeah, but oh the the sound like this the sound design with the the sawing, and you hear the head hitting the yes. ground, and you're just like. Yeah, you can hear the loudest uh, thump. The sound design in this movie like, is everything. Imagine turning around and seeing a coven of naked people, and no. you're just like, it's over. No, you can't make me. Well, so, okay, so then he, we see, there's a whole, there's like, um, a motif in this where there's like, a, it looks like a, ref, like, almost like when you shine, the, the light hits like a, a piece of glass, like a watch face, and there's a reflection and we see that as like a kind of a recurring visual motif to indicate like payment in this film. And this, when he jumps out of the window, that that reflect that kind of that that light comes down onto Peter, and he gets up out of the garden. But then that, that, is that when he clicks? That's when he clicks his tongue, right? When he like stands up in the garden. I believe so. Yes. So at this moment, I believe we can infer that. His body has now been officially taken over by Charlie. Charlie or Payman? What are we thinking here? Both? Um, I I wrote this in my paper that um, this shows that it's all three of them in the same body, but like it's just his body as a formality. It's not his mind. Um, yeah. It's it's Charlie, but Charlie is Payman. If that makes sense. Like, in my paper, I, I think I say he literally transitions from female to male. Like, Payman. Yeah. Um, so there's that. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm so not, then, like, in that, the decision maker here, but. But, like, so in that, I in think. that like, that line of thought then, so then Charlie and Payman have become, like, one entity at this point. So there isn't, like, a Charlie really anymore. Like, Charlie has become Payman. Well, according to Ari Aster, it never was Charlie. Oh, it, was it never was Charlie. Payment. It was always payment. That's right. Pardon me. Yeah. So does that, the implications of that are so fucked to me. It's like, does that mean like Charlie, Charlie, never mind. I don't even know what I'm saying. It just like blows my, blows my gourd. That They never got to know the real Charlie. Yeah. Cause there wasn't a Charlie. It was always Correct. him going by the name Charlie. Correct. And Fucking just using wild. her body as like a temporary host yes and i think that's part of why once the grandmother dies and isn't there to like um reassure payment that one he's gonna get the body that he wants and two um that like i took this out of my paper but i think part of her the grandmother taking care of charlie was like reassuring payment like you are the king of hell like 
you're not this little girl. I'm going to take care of you as I would if you were in a man's body. I see you as the king of hell. Um, you, like, you know what I mean? Like, basically, yeah. a, 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 like, like, Afro, like, he, like, she was basically doing, like, gender-affirming care for payment before yeah, yes. she died, before she died. Yes, and I know that sounds like a stretch, but, um, it really isn't. No, if, I don't think it is, think though. It. Like, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so, that's and. Fu- that's fucking crazy. And I think that's why once the grandmother dies and isn't there to do that anymore, that's when payment really goes off the deep end and is like, nope, we are doing this now. <laughs> payment be like, like no, thank you. Yeah, like, payment's like, the eagle has out. We're doing this now, everybody. <laughs> Places. <laughs> Eagle has landed. I cannot be in this body for one more moment or I will explode. And you know what, Payman? I fucking get it. Okay? <laughs> okay? You don't gotta explain it to me because I fucking Honestly, get it. Same. Um, not me, but I understand. Yeah. Um, fuck, this movie is so complex. And I'm just gonna say that your reading is definitive because I am very convinced by your fucking reading about that. Like, that's crazy thank you so much i fucking also, love that though i have a theory this isn't about the trans reading but i have a theory that ari aster probably watched the united states of tara and thought who could um, <laughs> turning into another person ah tony collette because she I mean, does that when she turns into payment she does that thing that she does in the united states of tara yes oh my god you're so right i love oh it oh my god wow Holy shit. Like, it all and like, what's to incre- Like, what an incredible ending tableau in this of just like them in the treehouse. The head, I have a necklace of the head of Tony Collette's headless corpse going up into the treehouse. It's my favorite. <laughs> it's an incredible image. It is, a, and again, I think that is a, it can be, it is a little silly looking. It, but yeah, I still that's, love it. I'll give them that where it's like, it almost looks like someone's in Photoshop and dragging the layer up to the layer of her body over the other layer up to the house i get that and also i'm i have a poster of that above my bed it's incredible (laughs) but like it's like it's silly but it's also so terrifying it's just like oh my god like and again like because you're like what's in there like the headless desecrated body like it's there it's still it's a lot it's like still functioning and like it's still got shit to do and we float up into that into that fucking glowing red tree house but still like, i know exactly you're like wait there's more <laughs> yeah. no don't make me look at it again and we get this crazy fucking tableau of we have like Charlie's terrifying decayed head on a giant body where she kind of looks like Jesus. And we have all of these weird blue decapitated bodies and naked people bowing, bowing down to, to Charlie slash Peter slash payment. And it's this, just like the swelling score from Colin Stetson. This, this score is my concentration music, which tells you everything you need to know about me as a person. <laughs> yeah. But like, Colin Stetson's score, especially in this, like, at this point, it's just, like, it swells, and it's almost, like, it's, like, I can't even, I'm not even gonna try to do it justice, because, like, it is just, it feels both terrifyingly haunting, but triumphant. There's, like, this, it's, he's got, like, these almost, like, bells in the background, and you're, like, oh, something really important is happening, but it's not good. 
And it's like this culmination, this triumphant event that also feels like the end of the world is upon us. And I absolutely (laughs) love that. Because it kind of is. I mean, if you think about it, like the apocalyptic consequences of what just happened. Yeah, because like um, Payman is a demon of mischief. And um, so Charlie is... Charlie does kind of look like Jesus, but she actually is Payman in the end. Um, like, oh yeah, the, I, just, I just the framing is just really funny with like, <laughs> like I, I just like I just always kind of giggle when we see the presentation of like her head on this like yeah. weird ass mannequin. I was like, this is yeah. awful. <laughs> yeah, the mannequin is um, for anybody who doesn't know, that's what Payman does look like in. Um, the grimoire of uh, the lesser key of Solomon. Um, mm-hmm. He has like a crown and a, a staff, and um, I reread it in my paper last night. But there's a part where um, Peter also looks like Payman in the scene where he slams his head into the desk. Which, by the way, oh. he wanted to actually do that in real life, like break his nose. And Ari Aster was like, I if I remember correctly, Ari Aster was like, um, you can't, like, do that, please. But, <laughs> like, please don't do this to me. Like, I don't want to watch you do that. <laughs> yeah, but, like, Alex Wolf like, was 100% in it. He was, like, method acting and trying to do shit don't like that. Don't do that. And Ari don't. Aster was like, please just act. <laughs> like, please. Please don't anyway. smash your fucking face on a desk. Like, <laughs> I'm not dealing with that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yeah, but in that scene where he raises his hand all weird and it sticks out, like, to the side, that's because it looks like uh, Payman's staff. So what? This... Yeah. Yes. I wrote about it. Um, the part where he, like, sticks his hand up all crazy and it's, like, out to the side. If you look up um, King Payman, his staff is, like, straight up and then it has, like, a flat part that goes out to the side kind of looks like a hand um this movie is fucking ridiculous what the fuck (laughs) that that's what that is um so that's how charlie looks in the end she has the staff um and then the music actually so uh king payman is one of his characteristics is that he's led in by trumpets so yes Okay. In the end, um, when Payman actually gets into the body that he wants, um, that's in addition to all the bells and stuff, you can hear those trumpets because Did... Payman has arrived. I feel like every time a trans person gets any kind of trans affirming, um, like either surgery or starts hormones, a trumpet should start playing for them as well. Not to, could, not, evil not, or not to, I agree. Evil, or, yeah, not to create an evil connection between evil, like trans, like transitioning. I just like the idea of trumpets playing whenever a trans person gets gender affirming care. It just as like an exciting <laughs> announcement. Triumphant. <laughs> a Do triumphant. come from exactly. the same word? Probably. Can someone who is a linguist like let me know that because it would make sense in my brain um yes no i love this score too and i remember the day after i saw this movie i wanted to watch it again but i didn't have time that day so i downloaded the score and i started like playing back the movie in my brain while i listened to it and i was driving to my second job and i got really scared We are all doing very, very, very um, healthy, 
healthy, you know, just listening (laughs) to horror scores, reliving the horrors of this, being like, hell yeah, love this shit. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I do listen to horror scores when I, like, write and especially when I study and stuff. Except for, like, two, like, three of them. Um, This one kind of, like, stresses me out. It follows, of course, is meant to stress you out. And then the witch is, like, a little too scary. I'm like, the witch <laughs> one is just like, ah, ah, ah. I'm like, I can't do it. Like, ah, it's ah, just ah, like. Ah, yeah, yeah uh, it's like it's chanting. Just, I hate it. It's like, no, <laughs> well, I no, love no, it. No, no. But it's like, I, I can't. It. If I'm listening to it no, while I'm I work, I'm like, I'm going to go into a panic attack if I keep listening <laughs> to it. And also, Midsummer is a little stressful because there are tracks where they're just, like, screaming. so you know what add that one to the list too all right we'll add that yeah add it to the tally (laughs) we'll talk about that um soundtrack next time but anyway yes i'm totally with you colin stetson right colin Uh, stetson Ugh. okay also also just did the music for uh bones and all i believe no uh that was trent reznor and atticus rose for bones and all yeah, Carl Setson did the menu, I think. Oh, yes. I'm so sorry. You're absolutely right. It was the menu. Yeah, yeah. He did the menu and uh, Trent Reznor did Bones and All. Yes, you are absolutely right. And that makes a lot more sense in my brain now. <laughs> I loved the menu. At Colin I'm, I'm fucking, so good. Imagine a fucking imagine a Colin Stetson score to the bones and all, just like chaotic saxophone music. Blah, I could blah, see blah. it. I could <laughs> I see love it. it. I mean, I love it. I want his chaotic saxophone music in every movie for the rest of my life. But absolutely. Did you know I'm classically trained on saxophone, so I can be the chaotic what? saxophone music. Yes. Um, I've no, I did not know since that. I was nine. Yes. What? <laughs> yeah, my main one is alto sax. I can play pretty much any type, though. Um, but my ex bandmate was mad that I started dating um, this girl that he liked who hated him, and he pawned my saxophone. So I haven't had it in like 10 years, but. I could still play it if if I found one. I'm gonna Pretty commit good a homicide. At it too. I'm gonna commit a homicide. <laughs> yep. I was a band nerd. I mean, not really. I did one year of uh marching band and I was like, This is a fucking cult, I'm leaving. But I was in like, you know, um South Jersey band and shit like that, you know, in school. So yeah. Holy shit. Second chair. Wow! Damn! Out of three. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey! I'm just kidding. There, I think there were seven, but yeah. Fuck. Well, anyway. that, that's a fun fact we just all learned together about Maxi Bobbin. <laughs> yeah, and I used my powers for bad, and I was in a ska band for a long time. I was going to say, you were in a, or I hope you were in a ska band, and you played this in a ska band i did i was this sax one of the one of three saxophone players and i also was the vocalist one of two vocalists yeah oh my god three you had three vocalists sorry 
bands. <laughs> Ev- everyone, everyone is a vocalist. It, Not really. Dude, like, do you know how many fucking people are in ska bands? So I, I, I know. know. It's ridiculous. So many fucking people in ska bands. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. anyway. Uh... <laughs> I think that uh, we did a really good job of covering Hereditary. I, we could talk about this forever. And if you guys let us, we will. So we should probably stop. <laughs> yeah. There's... I, I'm glad we did two episodes. I just think that there's so much to cover in about this movie and things that, like, you know, I don't think you pick up on, even after a second viewing. Like, this is a movie that really, like, benefits from digging in. And again, I think you can enjoy this movie without doing that, but I think it really is just a fascinating piece of filmmaking and about a fascinating experience like piece of filmmaking and screenwriting and story building and world building and it's just such an incredible piece of horrific art that like yes this is watch once never again whatever and but we'll watch this a million times but i know lots of people who will never watch this movie again okay and i understand that 100 percent. i mean like Family is a traumatizing thing. Like, if you have, like, a happy family with minimal trauma, like, congratulations, and also fuck you. Um, I don't know how you accomplish that (laughs) as a person, but, like, good for you. But I just think that this movie is obviously very specific, but I think you can so easily bring so much of your own experience with your mom and your family to this and project your own personal experiences on it to the point where you're like fuck this i can never i don't want to ever experience that again like i think it does that so well so yes and and i was gonna say that a lot of the people i know who can't watch this again it's not just because it was really scary which a lot of them do say but a lot of it is the family dynamics specifically the dinner scene it like Mm -hmm. does something to people's brains and they're like "Uh, it's too real i can't and you know what i get it i mean i am a glutton for pain so i like will watch that scene a million times but i do get it (laughs) it is too real yeah exactly like so many people i know will not watch it because of the family dynamics it's just like you said that's the scary part to many people and I think that's the point. I think, obviously, Ari Aster's making a scary movie with, like, traditionally scary moments, but I also think he knows what he's doing in terms of making a horrific family drama, like, a family movie that is about the horrors of family. Absolutely. And God bless him for that. God bless this weird little fucking nerd good for god bless us everyone everyone (laughs) well folks this has been the end of our two-part look at hereditary and next week we are diving into midsommar um this is a movie that i have a lot of i actually have a very hard time watching so it'll be a very interesting conversation i have seen it twice and i haven't rewatched it in years because i I'm very uncomfortable with this movie, so this will be a very interesting conversation. <laughs> and for me, it's a comfort movie, so I've watched yes. it many times. <laughs> Although yes. lately, I have been because um, I've been having such horrible panic attacks. I'm worried to watch it because it's too <laughs> real depicting the panic attacks. Um, so uh, we'll see. That's what Kalanapin's for, anyway. We love. <laughs> Thank you, pharmaceutical drugs. Um, 
but so we'll be back. Uh, we are going to be watching the director's cut, which I actually haven't seen. So oh, I can't wait for you to see it. Um, so we'll be watching the director's cut and talking about that. We'll also be doing a two part episode for that one. Um, so get ready, y'all. Diving into Midsommar. Yes. And if you can't get your hands on the director's cut, which is really unfortunate, um, I think you'll still be fine following along because the director's cut just adds stuff. It doesn't really take anything away. So there you go. Sweet. Well, everybody, thanks so much for listening to another episode of Watch Once Never Again. Um, if you have thoughts about our hereditary discussion, if you have thoughts about things that we should be covering in our next series, please let us know. You can email us at wonapodcast at gmail.com or you can let us know on Twitter. We're on Twitter at Wona Podcast, W-O-N-A Podcast. And then both Dax and I are on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Daxy Bobbin. And we will be seeing you next week, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye.